Strings, do you have anything to add to that as well from, from what you were saying? Just that the CIA wouldn't hire me just because I was like, do you take foreigners? They're like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I was not a, a person of interest for them. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Human Element, Dare's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. I'm Michael Liu, SVP, Head of Innovation at Kara, and excited to be with y'all today in a different capacity than normal, as I'm usually a guest, but today I'm the official host as Chelsea is out on maternity leave and training up our littlest and cutest future marketing team member. Today, I'm joined by my partners in crime, Sarah Stringer, EVP, Head of U.S. Media Partnerships at Dentsu, and a first-timer on the pod, Connor McKinney, Senior Director of Strategy and Planning at Kara in our L.A. office. We look to wrap up this year's South by Southwest interactive portion of the conference and discuss what's next for brands following the nine-day event that invited marketers, startups, artists, creatives, enthusiasts, and everything in between to discuss forward-focused experiences and cutting-edge ideas. Hey, Sarah and Connor, welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having us. And congratulations on your promotion to host. (laughs) I don't know why they're thinking that this would be a good idea, but we'll give it a spin. (laughs) Hey, Connor. Uh, so how are y'all holding up? Because y'all just got back home, right? Yeah, landed yeah. landed last night. It's been raining in LA nonstop. So like Austin, Texas was a was a almost tropical compared to <laughs> compared to what we've got here in in LA. But it was it was a blast. Can't wait to unpack it with you guys. Yeah, awesome. I also got back last night. I have to say, I am exhausted today, but I'm in the office, raring to go. It was a it was a good time, and yeah, it was cold getting back to New York. It's been, I mean, upstate is I think feet and feet of snow so it was a bit of a shock to the system coming back to new york yeah it's crazy it was even pretty volatile weather here too i think it was hot like 85 degrees one day and then it dropped down to 50 so i think the weather's starting to shape up i'm still here on the ground excited to leave soon and just get back to get back to new york and 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 see the folks so this should be an interesting start because sarah you you are a seasoned vet when it comes to attending south by southwest and Connor, this is your first time at, at South by, and I believe your first time in Austin, right? That is correct. Yeah, first on both fronts. Awesome. So, if you could explain South by this year in one word or a phrase, what would it be? And, and Connor, I'd like to get your fresh thought here because you haven't been exposed to this before, and or jaded of having some sort of, you know, preconceived notion of what South by is about. So, I'd love to hear your thoughts here, and then Sarah, definitely with yours, just to compare it with, you know, pre and post pandemic, especially this year. Among many of the words that I have jotted down, I'm going to go on the record with mind expanding in a couple different ways, which I'm sure we'll get into. But just the overall like sensation of this crowd coming down to Austin, taking over restaurants and bars and vacant storefronts, all to share ideas and to share what's next and to inspire is is quite overwhelming. I also you know, I'm sure you guys can attest, but a lot of that is happening interpersonally, just bumping into people and talking to them, which which I truly loved about the about the conference. Yeah, there's just so much going on. It's impossible to like leave without a, a broader like perception on on culture and society after being there. Wow. So optimistic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's 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 great to hear that sort of perspective from somebody who's never been before, because sometimes, again, you go to these conferences all the time. And I've been going since I've been in college because I'm from Texas and just kind of seeing it from fresh eyes is so very helpful to kind of ground us again. 
Sarah, what do you think? I love how we go from fresh perspective to like haggard veteran. Nine years ago was my first South by Southwest. And in terms of my word, I'd say this year's South by Southwest felt calm. I felt like I didn't go 2020. The last South by I went to before the pandemic was 2019. You know, and and it was really the first year we saw a lot of scooters in the city. It was kind of terrifying seeing people who obviously had never experienced a scooter before, give it a go. I think there was a number of injuries that year. But yeah, there's it was definitely less busy. I think from what I heard of 2020, obviously some brands were a little bit hesitant about going or featuring given what had just happened with Roe versus Wade in Texas. So this really felt like the first year where we were starting to see brands sort of come back in. And I thought it was an interesting response to actually see, you know, a big presence from say like Planned Parenthood on the ground, which I think obviously was a sort of a nice nod to that. But it did still feel light in terms of people. Like usually when you get into the convention center, so for those who haven't been to South by Southwest, essentially most of the main talks for South by take place at the convention center. But then there are two hotels as well where a lot of the talks also take place. It's all very walkable. So you really kind of get quite a condensed sense of what the actual, the festival and sort of conference is about. Because you usually see a lot of people basically walking from these three destinations. And I did think that it was not as crowded as I've seen it in previous years. And also I noticed that there were less, sometimes when you go to South by Southwest, you can have the best plans of all the different talks you want to go to. And then you don't get to see any of them because they are so full and you don't get into the queue on time. And then even if you're there an hour beforehand, you might not make it. I only noticed a handful of talks like that where people didn't necessarily get in. There were in some of the main ballrooms in the convention center, definitely like snaking audiences to try and get into the room. But I definitely saw less of that in this year as to prior years. So I do think it it felt like it was back. It felt like the South by that I remember, but it just felt like that on a smaller scale this year in terms of attendance. Yeah, it's a good point. I I think there's definitely a lot less people that I noticed as well than previous years. I was actually able to come last year and you know, I said the same thing. You, you didn't have the Fader Fort, you didn't have the Spotify house, you didn't have the Pandora. You didn't have a lot of these media companies that traditionally spend a lot of time building out these brand experiences for people that are part of the festival or not, just to come in, experience their product, get to know the brand and things like that. So I did see a lot of that missing. But last year, I did see a ton of Web3 companies, Web3 IP companies do huge, huge, huge activations. Doodles House, Fluff World. There was a bunch of other ones too. That was very absent this year. And I I know we talked a little bit about that, the CS pod of just, you know, the down market for crypto and how how that's affected NFT marketing and stuff like that as well. So that was actually one of the biggest takeaways that I, I took from from this one of seeing the experiences just so light when it comes to the the panels and stuff i do got to give kudos to, to south by this year as well because they started having overflow rooms so for those big issues where we we're always complaining about all the things that we couldn't see they had overflow rooms where they had screens and double the size so i thought that was smart of them to have and, and of course the recording it so you can look at it on their the app later if you missed it i agree totally with with you sarah that this is definitely a lighter you know south by than pre-pandemic for sure. I mean, to build on your point on the sort of, you know, the crypto downturn and, you know, some of those big projects not showing up, I also think it is a testament to some of the financial pressures a lot of the just general tech industry is facing right now and that we didn't maybe see some of that big spending that we've seen in prior years, just as we continue to see 
you know, more and more sort of redundancies be made in, in market. It feels like a very hard pill to swallow to be a large tech brand, probably spending a lot of money with the potential that you then may have a PR announcement around layoffs and so forth. So I did think that that was probably a, a sense of why we probably felt a little less from some of those really big name tech brands as well. Yeah, totally. Makes a lot of sense. So this conference is fairly unique than most of the other ones that we attend. It's it, There's a festival, there's awards, there's conferences and talks, there's unofficial versus official conferences, there's exhibition components to it. There's three parts, it's film, interactive, it's music. So, you know, can you share a little bit about how you navigated the event just to get the most from the experience as it can be somewhat overwhelming if you just don't have a game plan or know what to do? Yeah, completely. So I think the first year I went, I got a platinum badge thinking that I would go and see a whole load of stuff and then realized I only went to see stuff during interactive and that it's actually based on time components and energy and running around to see things that is actually way harder than you expect to see everything that you want. So over the years, I've just kind of opted to focus on the interactive stream just based on obviously the role that I do specifically and that, you know, trying to pick and choose, I think, topics that have a, like, not to try and focus just on one area and seeing a whole load of talks just around that. Like, for instance, we start to see big threads obviously come up in different years. Say, for instance, the cannabis thread was something like five years ago that really started to sort of grow. And obviously, we've started to see that being reflected in policymaking and obviously with states now starting to legalize. Interestingly enough, there was a lot. Every single day, I see maybe at least five talks on psychedelics. And I think that goes to the conversation around you know, new stuff taking place in health, will we start to, and we're starting to see some states starting to talk about psychedelics for therapeutic purposes. So I think the key thing for me is like, go to like one or like two of those talks. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to go see 20 of those talks because they're going to have a lot of like, you know, repeat information. So for me, it's really about curating things that I probably wouldn't see in my general day to day. So I try and avoid too much in the way of media and branding stuff overall, just because we talk about that day to day. And some of the most helpful talks I've ever been to during South by have been from conversations that that take place in completely different categories, like learning around how NASA does test and learn strategies for parachutes for like a Mars landing for a rover. It's very interesting to see how they look at test and learn and experimentation and then taking that then into a marketing realm. So some of the talks I deliberately will go to will be very random. And I try not to go to things that feel very themed the same every single day. Otherwise, it can get a bit samey. And I think this year, obviously, you know, and something we'll talk about that AI was such a huge theme that you really had to start breaking away from just seeing a whole load of talks that we're just talking about, like generative AI or AI in general, because they all started to sort of have similar bigger themes coming out. So diversification in topics, I think, is always a win. Yeah, I totally agree. Connor, what do you think? I would give a complete round of applause to the South by Southwest app. I think that thing is like top of the line in terms of scheduling, allows you to set your own schedules, recommends alternative sessions for you. I navigated the the whole festival with only a single day pass. So for the most part, I was running around the peripheral of the convention center and trying to soak up as much knowledge as possible. For the most part, that was the, the Brand Innovator Summit that took place at, at Lambert's, which was a packed house. They're, they like oversold that thing. Hats off to them. They had great attendance. I was able to see some, some great talks, including a few pieces from the Jack in the Box CMO, my client, Ryan Ostrom. 
but then I, you know, I had spent like the first two days there and then I slowly realized like, I, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to expand. So then, you know, I kind of made my rounds around the, the periphery of the convention center, certainly checked out a lot of what was going on at Rainy Street to, to the best of, of my ability. It was quite hectic and, and loud, but still a lot of fun. And then, you know, there were quite a few of our media partners that were there hosting different activations, just wanting to catch up and just chat informally. So I, I got to catch up with some old contacts, meet some new partners. All of that stuff was was great. Awesome. Yeah, it's cool that y'all have completely different experiences from being in the thick of it and then being on the peripheral, which I think is so valuable just to have, give us and our clients a, a good, well-rounded view of the space. And speaking of clients, you know, this year we actually had a good amount of clients here with us too, exploring and learning with us. What impact does South by Southwest have on brands and media? And why do you think it's important for us to be here as, you know, we don't see a ton of other agencies here with Dentsu and Care were pretty heavy this year. So why, why do you find this to be important for us to be here for brands and media? I find that when you talk to people in the marketing industry about South by Southwest, it can be really polarizing. Some people think it's not useful or it's um, kind of past it. And, and others, particularly clients, say it's one of their favorite events of the year. And I think it is because it is so diverse in the, in the range of topics that get discussed. And it isn't just sort of a narrow view of just, you know, selling to a customer. There's actually topics that feel like they are, this is where the world is headed or these are where you know, we're going to start to see overall topics of conversation, brand new categories starting to open up. So for me, South by Southwest is a a view as to what's coming in the next five to 10 years. You know, I even remember years ago talking about, you know, commercial space flight, and it seemed like it was so far away. And now we kind of talk about it like, oh, you know, is there an opportunity to brand this rocket for the next time this is going up? And you're like, this is an insane conversation that we've got here in such a short space of time. So I think that brands like the fact they can get out of their bubble. And I think that really is the power of South by Southwest. And I think that unlike events like a CES or a CAN, where there is probably a bit of expectation to meet with really big partners, this is like a really great opportunity to just to go and learn and immerse yourself in education around some of those big societal topics beyond just maybe the day-to-day that you do. Yeah, I think South by over the years really moved away from just a tech I mean, just the interactive portion, at least just from like this tech heavy thing that the conversations are very, very open to what you're talking about, diversity, inclusion. We're seeing a lot of that being pulled into the panels and having its own track. A lot of the booths are having that as well. Sustainability, obviously, coming in really heavy over the past few years, even more so this year. So we're seeing a lot of bigger themes and broader themes. You've already mentioned psychedelics and and, and I, I think it's just a great place to have that diverse perspective, as you're saying. And it's super important for us to think like that, where CES is really focused on the tech aspect of it. This is, you know, I guess as weird as that sounds, this is more consumer facing than the consumer electronics show. But I think so, right? You've got like the social element. This is where a lot of the first, you know, social apps were being discovered and people were launching here. So there is a, a theme here that I think broadens your perspective on how a brand could reach their consumers in many ways outside of just the devices itself. Just to plus up to what you guys have said, like this to me, I, w- I would categorize it as like a, a brief glance into a, a crystal ball as as of what's to come. I do think, though, it is our job as as the agency of a lot of our brands to help them make sense of what they're seeing. Like it's not completely spelled out and there's a lot of ways to interpret it. So in in the coming weeks, in the coming in the coming months or so, I'm looking forward to helping like 
my brands particularly like navigate through the haze and, and, you know, take some, some learnings away. Another thing that I loved was, you know, seeing all of this like forefront of tech and, you know, consumer trends. And it was great to see that actually in practice and in the wild. So often when, when I talk to clients on and educate them on, on web three or, or AI or anything like that, it seems so distant. So it was really powerful to see to see those companies and, and meet people who work for those brands on the ground and actually hear from them interpersonally, like what they're trying to do and what they believe in. I think that's got to be a really powerful thing for, for brands to do. Like there are actually people qualified, like well-intentioned, smart people behind these things that that might seem like scary to you. And just that diverse range of topics that y'all both are talking about, what, what were those key themes that y'all saw Sarah, I know you already mentioned AI and, and sustainability and psychedelics, but what were some of those key focus areas within consumer experience that we're expecting to have a bigger impact during this year? I mean, I think as much as everyone was talking about AI, for me, the overall theme was actually data. It was really a conversation on, you know, we will broadly obviously talk about the idea of garbage in, garbage out, like an AI or an algorithm, you know, algorithmic system is only as good as the data that has obviously been fed into that system. And I think some of the overall themes, regardless of if it was the talk that I went to by the CEO of 23andMe, or even Indeed, talking about the types of data that they have, you know, job seekers or people's health, and what does access to the scale type of data they have, like, how do you use it responsibly? How do you make sure that it's also representative of an entire volume of people like in society versus just a few people that are leaned in or a few people who might be privileged enough to do X, Y, and Z. So I think for me, the the broader theme that I saw from across a range of different talks was around inclusivity around data, making sure that you also understand that a lot of the people creating algorithms are also biased in the way that they're creating those algorithms. So even if the data is right, you're only at the will of how biased the person writing the algorithm is, which is why you need diverse teams. And the last piece just around data for me was I went to this really amazing talk on the sonification of data for scientists who were either blind or visually impaired. And it was really interesting because what they had done was they had appended tone to different data points. So blind or visually impaired scientists could experience the data in a completely different way. And I didn't even realize just how biased I am around, you know, visual dashboards and and, you know, infographics and how we're used to currently receiving data. And in doing so, not only are we potentially removing the opportunity for someone to pick up on a nuance in data, just because we haven't added an additional experience layer to it, but also who are we excluding from our own industry for their own viewpoints that can serve a massive population because we're not creating these data translations for people to be able to receive the data in ways that are comfortable to them. So it was through Sonic through even 3D printing of data when they're like models so people can actually tactile and feel them. And then obviously moving through to what we're seeing more commonly now around like 3D and XR. That was kind of mind-blowing for me and something that I hadn't even really thought about. So for me, the big theme overall was really the type of data that we're feeding into these systems and also just the responsibility about are the people even creating those data sources, have they opted into that? Is that being stolen from them? Is it their IP that is then being ingested um, money-making purposes without the person who actually created that data point even recognized in that. So I think there were a lot of moral implications and a big broader conversation around how do you make sure that the data that you're using is the right type of data? Are you using it in the right way? And what are the moral implications of that? Because 
one of the big outtakes from the talk from the CEO of Indeed was should more data scientists actually take you know, like humanities studies, like social sciences, like should they be taking poetry? Should they be taking philosophy to ensure that they are thinking of the moral implications of the types of technologies they're creating and the algorithms they're creating? One theme I noticed was an overall just commitment to accessibility and ensuring that all of the new technologies that are being built and and sort of like driving the future forward, you know, can cater to accessibility for, for everyone to experience them. Just walking the conference floor for the afternoon with you guys, I was I was blown away by how many startups and and how many how many companies are building tech that like converts sight into sound and and, and vice versa, and even some of the things that the the Dentsu booth was was putting together, like how to program scent into the metaverse, and even the virtual hug vest was it? Yeah, I mean the overall commitment to accessibility by by a large number of companies there was inspiring. It was it was great. Yeah, I think. Last year, Web3 was the biggest, biggest theme of South by Interactive. It was everywhere. We've already talked about the activations and the brands and everybody having why Web3 will unlock X, Y, and Z, right? And I think, you know, it's still, it still happens. And I don't think it takes away the validity of those panels or that context. I still believe it. It's just, it's not, it took a backseat this year where AI really filled that gap. You know, AI, I've, I've heard a lot of, interesting talks around AI and, and even some of these companies who are building these algorithms, not even referencing them as AI and just referencing them as augmented intelligence or, you know, augmented creativity or assistive technologies. And I think that's the best way to look at it. I, I think the the term AI is a catch-all and I understand why us humans and marketers especially need to, to gravitate towards a phrase that kind of wrap up everything that that is encompassed in it. So AI is just that theme, but there's many, many tracks that that pull from it that we saw during this year, which uh, I thought were exciting. But, you know, how does that affect everything from what you're talking about, Sarah, to the diversity, to the data, to the devices that we're using, to the sustainability and the accessibility tools that Connor's talking about? It is really this thread that's weaving between all of these amazing topics and themes that we're seeing on the floor itself. As marketers, we see these things all the time and we all get excited, especially us on the call. You know, what are your processes to sort of sort through the hype to find the the real kernel of innovation? I mean, as a grumpy innovation person in my career, as I've been lovingly called the anti-innovation innovation lead, it's just about kind of like we, we've all seen in our careers certain things that have gone through the hype cycle and everyone thinks it's going to be the next big thing. And then it eases off like we've seen it around VR. In some ways, we've seen it around NFTs most recently. It it's not to say that that technology is going away, but it's not saying that you should just put all your eggs in one basket, expect that to be the one big thing that's going to fix everything for you. And then if it doesn't give you the scale that you got then or the outcome that you're expecting, then people go failure, which is kind of the biggest fear when you work in an innovation mindset is that if you create an experiment and it's viewed as failing, it's probably because you spent too much money in in testing it. So I think for me, in terms of the the hype cycle is like, look at where consumers currently are. What do they feel comfortable with? What don't they feel comfortable with? Like even seeing obviously how scaled we are seeing generative AI tools being used and how quick we have seen that gone to market. Like the fact we're talking about the issues around students plagiarizing potentially, or what the moral implications of creating an essay using an AI or art through an AI, what does that mean? I think that shows that we're already at kind of like a a mass scale with it, but we need to be responsible with how do we play with that in a meaningful way. So we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but we're doing it to add value 
to a user who we're trying to appeal to with our brand. So I think the big thing for me is just always remember what is true to your audience. If it's also an expansion of your audience, that's fine. But just know that if it's a new audience to you, trying a brand new object with a brand new audience might be then hard to measure. Don't spend all of your innovation budget in just one thing. It's easier to incrementally add onto a onto a campaign or to a test than it is to spend all your money up front and then not be able to tweak something when you see it out in the wild. And in terms of hype, think of you know the technologies that you're using. Also, what are the the purposes or reasons or skin in the game that someone might have to try and get you on board for it? I think, unfortunately, we've seen obviously a lot of news articles around you know how influencers pushed particular projects and so forth for their own financial gain. I think it's just about making sure that you know, lean on your agency groups to help you do due diligence. Like this is what we're here for. We're here to make the murky feel less murky and help to give additional consulting on something that feels new and potentially a little bit nerve wracking. So, you know, we can work through that together, but just anything that feels like you're spending too much money in doing something, you probably are. And I think just listen, listen to that and just know that to test something, it probably shouldn't cost you that much money to try it out. And then if you try it out and you get a good result, spend a bit more money and keep scaling it like that. I think it's really important for brands and their agencies to understand the the high level like vision of what they're trying to do as as brand and as a company. You know, I spent like the first 36 hours there at, at Brand Innovators. I heard from a lot of like marketing executives about how you know, their their mission really drives a lot of, of what they're doing. For example, Indeed, who is is of course like a, a popular job placement website. Their CMO was was giving a talk on their their mission being to connect, help people overcome barriers to to connect with jobs. That could be like, you know, interpersonally or or really a large commitment to helping people re-enter society after after being in prison to connect with careers. I think it's very crucial for brands to understand like that high level vision of, of what they're working to achieve, you know, beyond sales today and like lift in favorability by the end of the year to understand like where they want their brand to go. I think too, that can provide a longer shelf life for some of these projects that sort of need like to help some of these projects build year over year. Yeah. And Connor, just to follow up on that, I mean, you know, you're seeing all these things building and you know, all of the perspectives from the speakers that you're attending just the festival at large, you know, in what ways did it reflect the current cultural and political climate that we're in that you're seeing? I would say noticeably absent, at least to like the the untrained eye from the festival, was any any sort of mention on like economic uncertainty. It was like the Thursday or one of the first days of the festival is when Silicon Valley Bank went under and then Signature Bank went under on like Sunday. And so I was really surprised to not really hear any sort of inkling on, on what that might hold. I sat in on like a, a future consumer of, of travel panel. I work on a travel brand. And, you know, compared to recessions of the past, the travel category is killing it right now. You can largely attribute that to everyone sitting at home and buying joggers on Instagram for two and a half years. Like people are ready to spend their money out and about. But, you know, I heard an interesting stat that consumer savings accounts are like 25% of what they were in 2020. And I mean, the shoe is going to drop at some point. And I was really, I, I really was surprised to hear that stat and then not see that reflected elsewhere. What was interesting to me, you know, how this manifested on the floor was public sector companies being there. Mike, you and I stopped by the CIA booth for... for they were, try, they were trying <laughs> to recruit us too. Yeah, yeah. 
but but they were there. They were right next to the NSA. The National Aviation Association was there. To me, these public sector companies or agencies can stand to benefit from a downturn in the tech sector. Like as, as soon as there are layoffs going around Silicon Valley, I would double down on those efforts to to go after some of those those tech workers. And I, th- I think that could be sort of like a, a precursor to any sort of, you know, future economic turmoil. Yeah, I think just agree on terms of I think that some of those government agencies would definitely try and take advantage of the number of tech workers that were probably in and around sniffing for, you know, potentially new job opportunities and, and so forth. And as I mentioned, seeing like Planned Parenthood out there and, and so forth, I think, you know, it is interesting to see you know, some of these like larger organizations sort of, you know, making a push. I thought the other thing that was interesting was obviously there's usually countries trying to encourage investment and tech workers and so forth. So on the actual exhibition floor, you'll see like Italy will be there, France will be there, you know, Hong Kong was there. Like there's all these different people trying to encourage, you know, spending into, you know, international cities or countries or what have you to sort of showcase how they're supporting startups. It was interesting to me to start to see American cities at South by trying to encourage remote workers. So Tulsa had a Tulsa house. There was also a Midwestern house. And they're trying to encourage more companies to start, you know, thinking about either setting up offices within environments that maybe they haven't been viewed as a, a tech startup hub, but also showcase for tech workers some of the benefits that can that you can get from moving to some of these cities where previously they maybe hadn't had hadn't been appealing. So Tulsa offers like $10,000 to people that will move to Tulsa for their first year to to encourage them to be there. So I thought that was an interesting trend for me to start to see American cities now with the remote force and the future of work changing in the US particularly, I think differently from as we've seen it in Europe, to now start to see these, these different territories within the US are now going to start to try and encourage different folks to come in. But I did then think, I wonder what the implications politically will be from some of those economic strategies to try and get some of these companies and workers in. And what does that mean for maybe, you know, an electoral college system eventually in the long term around how that will then be represented in some of these states, you know, that that may be kind of viewed predominantly historically like one party or another. Yeah, it's such a great point, Strings, because, you know, I think when a lot of the I guess, court cases and perspectives from politicians were being released over the past year. There's a lot of tech companies and even big companies, too, that were just like, we're going to shut down this office in this state because we don't agree with the viewpoints of of this governor or, or politician. And so opening it up wide open for for Nashville and Tulsa and many others around the, the, the country to kind of come onto the home turf of South by and say, hey, why don't you come over to this place? Also, you know, some of these places, Austin is getting a lot more expensive to live in than previous years. So there's it's, it's sort of interesting. Interesting to see how this, you know, web of of tech companies will start to kind of spread out even more and not just be so centralized, again, to your point of remote work, but also the the economy and the politics that are all involved of how will that drive a company to open up into and set up shops somewhere else to be another tech hub of the country. So I think those are great points from both y'all and super interesting. Based on all the insights that we covered today, what advice do you have for marketers to be acting on today? I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying about how to like navigate everything going on is is to have an understanding of your brand vision. And I don't think it has to be a verbatim understanding, like a loose direction of of where, of who your brand sees themselves in five years to be and and kind of let that guide you for the festival. And then, you know, to start to implement some of the, and invest in some of these projects moving forward. 
And I would also say, like with that in mind, certainly have a, an understanding of who your brand inspi- aspires to be within the category and like broadly in, in, in brand culture. And then again, like leave room for your your people, be it agencies or, or clients to work with that and experiment with that and sort of drive that forward and have the expectation that it's going to take a few years to get there. And it shouldn't be just like a thing that's done and, and considered an immediate success in, in six months. Leave some room in your initiatives and in your objectives to achieve these things, understanding that you know true leadership requires you to be bold, try new things and steer your category forward. What about you, Strings? I think something I thought about a lot during South by was a lot of the people that I saw speak who'd done honestly incredible things and built incredible businesses all came from a very unique issue that they faced personally that they solved for. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, maybe more people need this as well. And it became like a big thing. Like obviously, you know, Rihanna and Fenty, unfortunately Rihanna was not speaking, but people referenced obviously the badass that is Rihanna talking about the fact that she really blew open the expectations of the beauty industry by going to market with 40 different shades of foundation, which, you know, previously had just been unheard of in the beauty industry because she, as an outsider coming in on a problem, noticed that there was a huge issue because it was something that she was personally facing and solved for it. Same thing for 23andMe. They were talking about that they came from sort of like a background, obviously in genetics, but there was some real issues obviously around access to that and it being affordable and, you know, how can you augment your own health and sort of being able to support that. And the, the third talk that I went to was actually Miranda Kerr was talking about her as kind of one of the first big celebrities to create their own sort of beauty line. And the reason she created it was that her mother got cancer and they started looking at all the household objects that they used day to day. And they realized how many like carcinogens were in day to day things that they were using. And when they started looking at skincare, knowing that obviously skin is the largest, largest organ and you're obviously absorbing lots of chemicals that way there was actually at that time very few options to ensure that you had you know actually organic beauty that wasn't causing any other issues because it wasn't filled with a whole load of chemicals so she actually built that skin line initially just for her and her family and then realized other people might need it too and I think the thing that really surprised me around all of these things was just that all these people came at a problem, not because of a huge market opportunity, but they came to something because they know it solved an immediate need, maybe for them or a particular use case. And then realizing it scaled into something that was like way more helpful. And I think, you know, a real life example of that is what Microsoft did around obviously their accessible controller and seeing how popular that was. And the fact that that was even a Super Bowl spot for them, because it really meant something to people that they'd created a product that could serve a community that was previously underserved in gaming, even though Gaming for a disabled community is actually really amazing and it, it it really acts as a very accessible entertainment platform. And similarly, what Nike did around their accessibility trainer to ensure that I think it was people with multiple sclerosis can't necessarily tie up their shoes, but having a, a shoe that would obviously allow you to be able to remove the, like just push down the back of it. But then, you know, women who are pregnant were like, this is super helpful or you know, other people that may just be lazy and say, I don't want to take my trainers off that way. Like other people like found a need for it. So I think the thing for me was that is the brands, look at your business and think about it like a human being sometimes and and take a human lens to it. And don't just think about what is the enormous market opportunity here, but what can we solve for knowing that there is a need from a particular, you know, group within a community that maybe we think right now is not maybe the 
biggest commercial opportunity because maybe solving for that is actually an opportunity to solve in multiple ways for different people for different reasons, but the solution might be the same thing. And I think that was something that really surprised me was actually the amount of scaled innovations I saw. The sort of seed story of that came from a very personal need that an individual had that then created a huge innovation. Yeah, I mean, I'm inspired by so many brands who have that same approach. And we have many within our portfolio at, at Kara and, and Dentsu specifically. But, you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by what Microsoft did with the accessibility controller years ago. And that same vein of the examples you use, as well as MasterCard, who created the touch card for people who are vision impaired and true name card as well, just to kind of speak to a community that they value. So always a big fan of our clients and other brands who who take that approach. I think that's great advice. You know, we're a quarter through the year, as crazy as that sounds. And I feel like when we blink, we'll be halfway through. So what excites you the most about 2023 and, and what we're supposed to expect coming into the, the rest of the year? At least for the time being, brands beginning to brand a bit more. I think to date, post-pandemic, a lot of brands have been so performance-focused and so like ensuring that they still are serving customers in like a a very transactional way to to meet the needs of customers very transactionally. So I heard a lot of promise. I heard a lot of inspiring talk around brands beginning to brand a bit more. And I think that lends itself to a bit more of an emphasis on, on content. I was fortunate enough to see a panel, I'll read it verbatim, Rethinking Intellectual Property, New Business, Embracing Film and TV. I caught that on Monday, the morning after the Oscars. So perfect timing. It was a philosophical talk on like what brands can be and sort of how brands can transition into, into studios. Dentsu's own Dan DeShenza sat on the, the panel. He gave an excellent POV from an agency perspective. But I'm excited for it. I think there's a Flamin' Hot Cheetos movie coming out. I'm, I might have I might have made that up. I know there's a Tetris movie coming out. The panel also featured somebody from Mattel, who obviously has the, the Barbie movie coming out with Margot Robbie this, this summer. So brands beginning to brand a bit more. And in that sense, like creating some really, truly like entertaining content. Um, exciting to me. It's going to be a tough year. We're already seeing brands are being a bit thrifty and I'd say taking on a wait and see mentality around spend. The pessimist in me were like, oh no, that means that it's just going to go straight into performance because everyone's going to freak out. But the optimist in me is thinking that this is also the perfect time for innovation. So sometimes when the chips are down and you don't have as much budget as you had previously, you really look at what's the rule book here. If we don't have the money to do the thing that we would kind of want to do that would make us feel most comfortable, is there another way we should be spending money? So, you know, I think for this year, as we start to see more brands, maybe being a little bit more tentative around how much they spend up front or where they're looking to place their dollars, that we might be able to have some meaningful conversations around, you know, where audiences are spending their time, where can we hit people in new and interesting ways that can resonate more. Selfishly, I know we always talk about gaming, but you know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time there. So maybe we'll start to see a bit more spend in some of those maybe um, less pricey executions within gaming, just as we continue to sort of follow people where they're actually at versus where we as marketers just feel the most comfortable. So I'm going to stick with an optimistic viewpoint and think this should hopefully be a good year for some great test and learns as we start to maybe through economic pressure, have to throw out the rule book. Yeah, I think on that, just what I took away from that is I'm excited for brands to be scrappy again. I think there's going to be a lot of brands that are going to be put in the situation where they need to make their dollars stretch more, understandably so. And so being creative with those ideas and being innovative with your ideas, 
I'm just being scrappy and letting your brand show out. So I, th- I think hopefully I summed up both of y'all's thoughts perfectly on that one. So we'll move into our lightning round, which Connor, this is for, for your first time. These are questions we'll go one by one quickly, uh, short answers, fast answers. And we'll start with you. Most interesting fact you learned on the ground at South by Southwest. Yeah, I kind of gave mine away already. It was, and I have it here verbatim, personal savings is about 25% of what it was in 2020 and about half of the average between 1959 to 2022. It certainly has large implications, interesting in a bad way. I already used that one, so I will say like just off the cuff, Terry Black's has some of the best brisket you can find in the country for sure. Well, you have a bit of Franklin's yet, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about that later. Strings. Apparently, there's 22,000 people already in a microdosing observational survey to see if psychedelics will be helpful for therapeutic, well, therapeutics, I guess, is the answer. Awesome. So, yeah, it's happening. Second question, then. Most interesting person or company you met or maybe read about during this week? Coincidentally, in, in line at Terry Black's, I needed to charge my phone. The guy in front of me had an extra phone charger. His name is Eric Adams. He's a CEO and founder of a startup called Dog and Whistle. And he was there uh, competing in a pitch competition for his company that upcycles dog food from restaurant waste. Like a lot of a lot of restaurants have to throw away food, whatever they can't donate to, like shelters and such. That would kill in Brentwood, Los Angeles, by the way. Shout out to Eric. That is interesting. Cool. You can go on to chandra.si.edu forward slash sound and listen to sounds from deep space. That is from the sonification of data from black holes from NASA. But some of them are pretty eerie and kind of like electro vibes. But yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So listen to some space noise. It's cool. Super cool. We'll add those into the show notes for everybody there as well. Favorite experience on the ground? terms of brand pop-ups or any any events y'all attended that were official or unofficial? I saw Eric Andre, one of my favorite comedians, live in conversation. He was there. He had won a Cult Comedian of the Year award or something like that from Variety. But it's really awesome. You know, I started following him as an absurdist comedian on Adult Swim. And to see the fact that he's now like making waves in mainstream is really validating. And it was it was awesome. We were we had front row seats to see him talk. Connor and I went to see the Yellow Jackets pop up, which I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be like the Westworld this year. Like it was, there was so much hype around it. And I kind of went, I was a little bit disappointed if I'm honest. That is no shade on obviously the Showtime team. I'm sure doing any type of build out at South by is an absolute nightmare. It just felt very for the selfies, which is fine. I get it. So for anyone that doesn't know, Yellow Jackets is a show about a group of teenage girls who are going to a soccer match and their plane goes down over what will be very, very extremely remote Canada. And then, you know, there's some Lord of the Flies-esque slash teenage drama that comes out through the show. So the the actual pop-up took place out east. There was snow blowing on a very extremely boiling day in Austin. And you kind of go into this sort of warehouse experience. They had mushroom tea because one of the girls roofies a teacher with magic mushrooms there is a barbecue which is weird because there's a lot of nods to cannibalism in the show and then a a range of different photo ops that, that came off the back of it so for anyone that hasn't been to south by southwest before it is a huge opportunity for entertainment platforms to usually spruik the big shows that they're going to have this year Usually there is usually one huge standout show that will end up being like the thing that you should visit. Just seeing the fact that some of the big TV shows are sort of coming back and doing some of those experiences was nice to see. 
And then in a sentence, what's the best advice for the year? Keep reading random trends and don't get too bogged down just in your own industry because sometimes some of the most interesting inspiration can come from elsewhere. Keep on keeping on, I suppose. So far, so good. Keep doing what you can while you can do it, I suppose, in like the face of... Cliche, cliche, cliche. <laughs> and then the question at the end, I suppose, like keep on keeping on, maybe. All right. And that's a wrap for South by Southwest. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pods. And we'll be back out to you real soon. But until then, enjoy great barbecue, tacos, and Topo Chico.